Welcome to the Doctor Patient Forum, a no holds barred patient advocacy podcast discussing why millions of pain patients continue to suffer, but most importantly, who caused the suffering. Join us weekly as we discuss how you can help end the untreated pain crisis. Before we get started on this episode of the Doctor Patient Forum podcast, I would love to just give a quick shout out to our brand new patrons who have joined the Doctor Patient Forum Patreon page since our last podcast episode. A shout out and thank you to Heather, Michael, Linda, Jenna, Debbie, Liz, Anne, Dale, Sue, Chris, Lori, Dogmom, Amy, Heather, Jennifer, Robert, Anne, Lawana, Jack. Kendra, Kamiko, Bethany, Laura, and Bridget. Over a year ago, Bev texted me and said, we need a podcast, Claudia. And I said, oh God, it's going to be more work for you, Bev, because Bev does all right. the work here. And you kept saying, well, everybody has a podcast. So here we are. We have a podcast and we've had some amazing guests on the show. Yes. I want to do a look back on every episode we have. I took a little clip from each one of the parts that we would want you guys to listen to. I will do just a basic introduction to what each one is and then we'll talk about it. And Well, let me ask you one question while yeah. we're recording. Yeah. Bev, I have a favorite podcast because if I wasn't going to be a court reporter, I probably would have gone to law school and terrorized people. So I think we know who my favorite guest was. My favorite guest was Ron Chapman. Yeah. And the law is so fascinating and so fucked at the same time. Yeah. Because it's because of the law that our country really sucks at times. Yeah. But he was, I, I just really enjoy interviewing yeah. Ron. Who was your favorite guest? You know how I feel about lawyers, no offense, Ron, but actually my favorite guest is a lawyer also. It's Jen. I love Jen Oliva. She oh, is probably my favorite person in this whole advocacy realm. I really enjoy talking to her. I don't know if it's a Jersey thing, but like, you know how we get all passionate? Like I listen to some of the recordings and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm screaming, but she gets that same level of passion mm -hmm. and just, I feel like, you know, we can all work yeah, together like, and affect change. Yeah. yeah I like I love her John. too. You know who else I like? Really smart. Jacob James Rich. Oh yeah. That was part of the same series. I We have a, a, a quote from him also. I do like him. He's young, right? But mm. he's so passionate too. And he and Jen are working on that study about the PDMP. His hypothesis is that when the PDMP was implemented in each state, then actually um, overdose deaths of people of color went up. And so I cannot wait for that to come out because you know how it, the settlement funds, everything's going to PDMP and law enforcement and blah, blah, blah to make it worse. Yeah, I like Jacob too. He's going to come back on when they when that uh, study comes out though. And so is John, which is yeah, good. We've had some really, really amazing guests who have, you know, given us interviews. What Some people have tried so hard to get some of these people on their podcast. Yeah. And, uh, and then Carl Hart. You right? Just, I just I, I know. Remember that? Do you remember when you were like, because something was going wrong, like always, and you were like, well, I have some good news to cheer you up. I was like, what? And you're like, Carl Hart. I was like, no way is Carl Hart coming on the podcast. And you're like, yes, Carl Hart is coming. And now we've had him on twice. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we're working with him. And I'm so excited about that. Yeah. I, it's been I, great. I, listen, I slid into, I didn't know what slid into the DMs mean. <laughs> And I, and I remember I asked my daughter, I was like, I think I just slid into somebody's DM. And then he answered me. I was like, holy shit. I know. Can you believe it? Yeah. He actually seems to like us. Yeah, that was pretty remarkable. That's probably, well, I would say most definitely our most well-known podcast guest that we've had. But we've gotten great feedback on most of the episodes. I mean, some of them people are not as interested in, I guess. So let's just start. So the first episode we did, episode one was, who are we? And how did we get here? Where did it start? So I'm just going to play this quick clip where you came up with the idea for rallies. Do you remember you saw that there was a, like a, a dog outside in the cold or something? And so people were protesting to make sure that didn't happen again. And then 
media was there and you were like, if they can get media for this dog, which, you know, is obviously important, but you were like, if they can get media for animals, surely we could get media for people being tortured. Um, little did we know what the fight would be for us to do that, but that's how we got started. So I will always remember that Claudia, where you <laughs> called me. Cause I, we had just been speaking for like a week, maybe when I called you after I went into the hospital in 2017 mm -hmm. in November and you called me, you're like, this is what we're going to do. And then do you remember we, you saw protests right after that and you thought it was for, for this and you're like, Whoa! and you're like, wait, those are Girl Scouts washing cars. Yeah. Never yeah, it was, there were Girl Scouts. Uh, I, I, God, isn't that crazy? I remember seeing all of this media covering yeah. a dog was outside yeah. cold. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I feel bad for the dog. Yeah. How about the, how about us? So yeah, that's uh, yeah. how it started. Yeah, it did. And I do have to say, listening to my voice doing this is so difficult. So this is not my favorite thing to do right now. But a lot of the clips are not just us. It's the guests that we have. So those will be a little easier to to listen to for us. But episode two actually was so far our second most listened to podcast. It's drug seeking behavior. What is it? How do I know if there's red flags in my electronic health records? So let's just play a clip from there. And a lot of these red flags, as I mentioned before, are written by lawyers. They're written by attorneys general or they're written, written by the DEA and, and law enforcement. Here's one that was written by law enforcement. Word for word says, if your patient exaggerates the symptoms, a patient can walk into the office fine, but hold a hurting body part or start moaning in pains once in your presence. Don't be fooled by tears. Many drug seekers are convincing actors. You know, you have some other red flags also written by attorneys general. This is but one in Georgia. If the patient can't afford an MRI and doesn't have any imaging, that's a red flag. But if the patient presents MRI imaging at their first appointment, that's also a red flag. So yes, that was a really good episode, I think, because I don't think people understand all of the red flags and where they came from. But I played that clip so that people who weren't able to listen to that episode realized that these red flags were not created by doctors for doctors about to, these were created by law enforcement for law enforcement to go after doctors and flag patients. I wonder if people See, people don't know about the red flags. Wouldn't it be great if we had red flags broken down by each state? But even better if we had the yeah. people who actually wrote the red flags. Like yeah. Mike, right? Like Ron Chapman has Mike Staples, works for him. Mike is the compliance guy. I would, he, used, yes. he used to serve the Ohio State Medical Board as an investigator. I would love to have him on this podcast, Claudia, because he I was. would love to talk... Wasn't Mike he? Staples wasn't. No, oh, he no. said he would and then he didn't no, he come on. on but other, He was on the other one. Yeah, the so I would love story. to have him on it. You know, in that episode, we linked the 1999. There was a 1999 document that we spoke about that the DEA wrote, How Not to Be Fooled by Drug Abusers. And as soon as that podcast came out and we linked it, they took it down. And I wish that I had downloaded it. And that's something that's happened a lot with our podcast. I know people will be like, oh, well, I'm sure it's not because of you, but it is. Like we put mm -hmm. stuff up links all of a sudden start coming down off the internet, like with Maya's Wired article about Narxcare. So um, I'm starting to try to record things before we post mm -hmm. it, just in case they do take it down. This next episode is your favorite, Ron Chapman. I have a minute clip on, on this. You had asked Ron what to do if a DEA agent shows up at a doctor's office. And let me just say this very clear and very loudly to any doctor who's listening out there. There is absolutely nothing you can say to a federal agent when you're being searched that will get you out of trouble. 100% of the time, people have talked to the DEA in that circumstance. They have gotten themselves in more trouble. And the reason why is because they have wishful thinking that they can get themselves out of it. You let the search be conducted. You take notes about what they're doing. You coordinate with counsel after, and we begin to aggressively defend the case. Uh, with the benefit of a bit more time. So they've trained their agents to surprise you and overwhelm you. And in fact, one case, I had a client who had a gun uh, pointed at him while he was asked to sign this form. I was able to get that case completely dismissed. But instead, they've decided to overwhelm you with shock and awe and push that form in front of you and say, hey, in fact, this is the script. It almost goes exactly like this. We're investigating you for XYZ. Right now, you have an active registration. We'd like you to surrender it. After you surrender, you can apply for it back at any point in time, and we'll consider whether or not you get it back. And this will go a long way in resolving this investigation in this case. That is 100% a lie. The DEA 
will not give you your registration back if you reapply. In fact, you actually have to provide notice to so many entities. Once you surrender your registration, you could face a restriction on your board license. You will face a national practitioner's data bank complaint. You will face a parade of dominoes falling on top of you and preventing you from actively participating in your career. And there is no discipline for failing to sign that form. What you need to do is put the pen down, call your attorney, your attorney will contact the DEA, politely decline the opportunity to surrender and start negotiating on your behalf. Again, there's nothing you can say or do at that time that will get you out of trouble. In fact, that person providing you that form doesn't even have authority to stop the investigation against you, even though they usually represent that they do. I didn't know that before we interviewed Ron. I didn't know that they're lying completely and that they don't have the right or the power to stop the investigation. And so when we had that podcast, I just sent it to everyone I knew who can give it to their doctors. You know, it's weird, Claudia, we have doctors contact us when they get investigated. They find us online and they contact us and they're like, we were just raided. What do we do? And uh, so what do you think about that? What he just said? It's usually too late by the time they contact us. And I've put out, I have to put out more TikTok videos. Never, ever sign anything and don't call a lawyer that did your will. Don't call a lawyer that (laughs) is a personal injury attorney. My God, call somebody that specializes in defending, you know, doctors and it happens. And and so many doctors, oh, I can, listen, I got this. I'm like, no, you don't. It's too late. It's too late. That's right. And that's the other part of uh, that podcast that was really helpful as he talks about get yourself a good compliance plan, get a sound plan, let them come in, fix things up now. Because a lot of times they get the doctors, it's not on what they called overprescribing. It's because they didn't, you know, keep good enough notes or they did one thing that they would prefer. They did it a different way. And and then these doctors are just, I don't, they're, ugh, it's just terrible. Yeah. They come in with Very the guns scary. of blazing and the, yeah. the SWAT team. It's, Yeah, it's terrifying. That's a great soundbite. Yeah. So the next episode, I didn't even do a soundbite for, and I'm not going to because I don't want to give them any more of my energy, but it was predators in the pain community. It was all about our stalker, really Mm -hmm. your stalker, Mm -hmm. who has terrorized you for over five years now. She doesn't stop. Like she never, ever, ever stops. But thankfully, um, you know, things sometimes die down and then they, they get back up, but she's still continuing to call people in your life and try to trash your reputation to these yeah. random people. And she's just obsessed, which is insane. But yeah, it was pretty yeah. scary. She's but a predator. The, the one thing I do want to say, and we said in that episode is do not give these random people your information. In the paint community, if they message you, what's your doctor's name, whatever, if you're going to mm-hmm. give your doctor's name out, you better be very, very sure you know who this person is. Do mm-hmm. not send them your medical records. Uh, We've had people terrorized by her and other people where they'll call your doctor. Just please just protect yourself is is the main uh, message of that podcast. So the next one is with Sonia Sloan. Mm -hmm. Her husband, Brent, sadly took his life after his medicine was cut down. She is on the board of our organization. So this is just a really quick soundbite. This is actually the text she received before he passed away. He had been struggling getting his medication filled. He uh, kept calling the doctors and they weren't sending it in properly. And she said she works at a job where she can't bring her phone. So she figured she would go out to her car and she would see everything was okay, but that's not what happened. But sadly, when I got off work and I got in my car and I grabbed my phone, I I saw the text message. And he said, I'm done. I, they denied my script and uh, he said, I love you always. Yeah, that breaks my heart. So I've interviewed Sonia several times this, on on our podcast and on yeah. another, I cried both times, both yeah. nights. Like I don't yeah. cry in front of people, but yeah. at nighttime, yeah. I just, I was just haunted, just <laughs> yeah, haunted. That was, that was really, really rough. That, oh. And, and then you have people like Barry Meyer, who he's the one who wrote the book Painkiller, who the Netflix series just came out based on. And he doesn't believe that that suicides even exist. And you'll hear a clip from him later on. I and, hate him. No, he's terrible. He's a bad person. I just think he's a bad person. The next episode 
episode six was how to prepare for a new doctor's appointment. So we were still early on in our podcast and and we were trying to do things where, because we get these questions repeatedly. And so we were like, well, if we can just make one podcast episode about different topics, then we could just send them the podcast instead of trying to remember everything every time. So this next one is how to prepare for a new doctor's appointment. And the first quote is actually a review from a patient who we spoke to. I'm here to tell you about my experience with the Don't Punish Pain Rally group. Highly positive. I spoke with Bev Sheckman before I went into my last pain management appointment and actually came out with a new pain management doctor that didn't judge me or malign me or tell me that they couldn't help me. Bev coached me um, about a week before my appointment took place and she didn't charge me any money, not a penny. I don't know where that rumor is coming from, but please don't believe it. The Don't Punish Pain Rally group is here to help you. That was a really nice message. And of course, now we're going to do a shameless plug for Patreon. So we used to do coaching calls all the time for anyone. And it got to the point where we couldn't anymore. We're spread too thin. You know, we I update the website myself. We do the podcast, the editing, the videos, Patreon, all ourselves. We don't have a staff. We also were applying for grants, right, Claudia? Like we were like, yeah. we need money. We need money. We had to turn mm-hmm. down speaking engagements. We had to turn down trips. And and so one of our members on the page was like, what about a subscription page? Remember? And we were yeah. like, I don't even know what that is. And I did not right. And so we looked it up and I was like, wow, this is a really good idea. So we do have a Patreon page. We launched uh, May 31st. We have 298 member subscribers as of this morning. And we have three tiers on that page. We have a $5 tier, a $15 tier, and a $30 tier. That top $30 tier gets four coaching calls in a 12-month period. And people seem to really like it. Have you gotten good uh, feedback on it so far, Claudia? Yes. Yes. I think when people first learned... uh learned of it they were confused because a lot yeah. of our followers are older right and trying to explain to them what a subscription page was yeah i was i was trying to explain it to my mom i said it's like netflix and you know what my mom said she said why would pay why would people pay to listen to you oh that's nice <laughs> well i went to the same thing too i'm like why right, are they right. paying but i think we yeah. have some really good content and you know one thing i noticed on that page compared to how social media can be they're so grateful claudia they're, they're so not, they're nice they're so grateful and like complimentary and mm-hmm. and like i posted on there we we have almost 300 members and then on you know, social media, if we had said that, we would have been like, why are you promoting yourself? And this isn't about you. And, and their people are like, we hope you get 200 more. And we're so grateful. And I just, it's weird. It's weird having nice people, not saying everyone is rude. The majority, vast majority of you are incredibly kind and grateful, but I don't think people realize how much we actually work. Like it's nonstop, never ending morning till night. And it's volunteered every day. Every day. And we need to raise money for everything, for everything. everything. We can't, if we want to take this step forward, Mm. we cannot continue to do it without funding. I mean, I hate asking for money. It makes me so uncomfortable. I feel better about asking people to join Patreon than I do just Mm -hmm. asking for donations because I feel like at least there's something they're getting for sure in return. Mm -hmm. But if you haven't checked out the Patreon page, please do and consider joining. And look, we know a lot of you are on disability and lack resources, but would you consider asking a family member or a friend and say, look, can you sponsor me on this page? Can you join this page for me $5 a month so that I can have access to this content and we could also be giving money towards a good cause? And it is considered, it's tax deductible. It's considered a donation. So I know some people have been upset that we've been promoting it, but I promise you, I am giving it everything I've got. I'm giving as much time as I can to make this a success so that we can keep fighting, right? I remember advocating when my mom was in the hospital recovering after a broken back, after she was septic, after I I was advocating when I was admitted to the hospital. I left the hospital to organize a rally. There's nothing easy about fighting. And people say, oh, I can't, I'm too sick to attend the rally. So am I. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, do you remember when I got COVID this January and it was, I had 105 fever and we had a a meeting set up with somebody who was going to help us figure out how to get grants. Mm -hmm. And 
I was like, Claudia, I don't know if I could do this. And you're like, Bev, cancel the meeting. No, go to bed. But that's how much we are dedicated. I mm-hmm. promise you, mm-hmm. as long as I am healthy enough to, which, you know, I have Crohn's disease also, <laughs> and I'm not, I'm exhausted. Like last night I took methotrexate. I take Simsy and methotrexate every other weekend. I'm exhausted mm-hmm. almost every single weekend. I Like after this, I'm going to sleep for the rest of yeah. the day today because I, I have if I don't recharge on the weekends, like I'm useless. And then we're, we're texting each other at four 30 in the morning, every single morning. Yeah. So I do promise we are giving it everything we've got, but please consider going over there and join. How about the first time you did that, um, podcast with John Tassoni and you're like, I feel <gasps> weird. You texted me on the way. You're like, my knees yeah. hurt. And you had like a hundred million fever with the flu. Yeah. I yeah, think you went to the admitted. hospital the next day yeah. or that day. I got, yeah. I got admitted to the hospital that, yes, yeah. that's when yeah. I had to leave. Yeah. So we yeah. do it. We yeah. do it. We don't, yeah. we don't walk the walk. We talk the talk. Yeah. We've been doing do. this a long time. Wait, I do want to say this, Claudia, that if there is anyone who would like to volunteer your time, that you're good at writing or any of that, uh, anything that you think you can help us with. Uh, creating slideshow presentations or editing, uh, email me at bevithedoctorpatientforum.com and let me know. And I will be happy to give you something to do. The only thing I ask is that if you think there's a good chance you can't do it because you're too sick, just then let me know. Then don't sign up. Then don't yeah. sign up. Uh, yeah, because it's hard because people sign up and I know it's hard in our community, but we would love all of the help we can get, especially if you can draw or if you're an artist. I have all these different yes, ideas yes, and I am yes. the least creative person in the entire world. So this next quote, you asked me for the summary of tips for a new doctor's mm-hmm. appointment. This is a little less than two minutes long, but I think this is a good one for people to hear. Step one, always have your medical records, always carry them with you. Step two, figure out ahead of time if you want to bring someone with you. And if you want to record some things to do, bring a list of all your medications, everything you've tried, everything that's worked and hasn't worked. Always assume good intentions. Don't go in there combative. Don't go in there assuming the doctor is going to be nasty to you. And do your best to remain calm. It's so hard. It's so hard to not be emotional, but it really is necessary. Realize the doctor is probably as afraid of this as you are. Always be willing to try other things. Bring imaging if you have it. Um, and if you don't, be willing to get imaging if that's what they ask for. And also bring a list of goals for function, things that you would like to do if you were able to, to live a better life and be willing to have a full workup. If you haven't had one in a long time, be willing to do that. And then some things not to do that we've touched on. Don't tell the doctor you've sold or borrowed or gone to the street and taken more than you've needed to. Don't lose your temper. Don't sit there on your phone. Don't say your pain is 12 out of 10. And don't list 75 pain conditions. Try to stick with the one. Don't admit to sexual abuse or assault unless you are going to that doctor for help for that situation. That's one thing I do. I have to say that I have told people to lie about to the pain doctor uh, because it could cause them to not give you uh, pain. I hate having to listen to my voice. You're lucky because it wasn't yours. But that was a pretty good summary, no? But Bev... (laughs) If now, now that we know this, if you take your records, that could be considered a red flag. No, it literally is considered a red flag to a lot of people now for sure. But hopefully that will help somebody. The next episode seven was tips from a provider. I didn't take any quotes from that episode because I couldn't really pick out what was the most important information, but please listen to it. It was with a nurse practitioner who is a pain provider. All right, Claudia, the next episode is episode eight. This was my favorite series. This is our PDMP Narcs Care series. It was supposed to be one episode. It turned into four. This first one is with a doctor who he's helped us investigate Narcs Care, and he's actually being investigated. But here's a nice quote. It's about two minutes, but it's a really nice quote he said about our organization. So I wanted to put it in there just for encouragement for us. Thank you for your support, and thank you for the research that you guys do. I find the research that the Doctor Patient Forum does is extremely high quality, and all the links list the evidence that you guys have collected over the past couple of years. So nobody can say that, oh, you guys are presenting a false narrative because there's proof for everything that you guys have collected. So that's that's excellent. In memoriam of Terry Lewis, Dr. Terry Lewis, I'm glad that there were a small group of people who were willing to look at this issue, which could develop into an extremely large issue because if it affects millions of people, 
there had to be a canary in the coal mine. And I feel like the doctor patient forum and a small team of individuals were the actual canary in the coal mine. And we can at least try to save all the coal miners by bringing this issue out to the entire nation and community. So thank you for that. I would like to also thank Dr. Patient Forum for communicating with physicians and giving physicians and patients a voice together because there are some organizations that are just patient-oriented and some organizations that are just physician-oriented. It's good to have a combination of both. And for you guys to be the Dr. Patient Forum, I think that's the way to move you know, the next century of medicine forward which is to have patients and doctors working together and fighting together and controlling their own personal treatment plan, because that's a personal decision. The decision to how you want to treat your illness and what methods and scientific methods you decide to treat your illness, whether it's homeopathy to allopathic medicine, to physical therapy, to injection therapy, to spinal cord stimulators, to whatever. It's, it's a personal choice between a physician and their patient. No third party should really get in the way of that. So yeah. thank you for giving the freedom to patients and doctors. I think that's, that's good. Much needed words. We thank you for that. So that was really nice, right? I mean, it feels weird just sitting there staring at you while he's saying nice things about us. But I have to sometimes remind myself that we're doing something that helps somebody because some, sometimes it could be kind of a thankless, not like we're doing anything for that, you know, for thanks and recognition. But, you know, a lot of times what happens, Claudia, is like we're promoting stuff. We're contacting media. We're the ones who get the word out there. And then we get shit on. Yeah. People don't even mention us when it, and Narc's care is one of those things that we really have done. That's all you. And I say it all the time. It's because of my colleague, but thank you. Because I don't mind people taking a shit on my head, but I mind when they take a shit on your head. I know you're very protective. And so I have to be careful if someone's being nasty. That's right. And you shouldn't tell me things like that. (laughs) Especially late at night because then then you rage tweet. I know. So um, episode nine was part two of this PDMP Narx Care series. And first of all, let me just say quickly, for those of you who don't know, Narx Care is a risk score algorithm that's based off your PDMP, along with some other data that we don't know all of what it is because they won't tell us, but it, it may or may not include insurance claims, your electronic health records, criminal justice data, and a multitude of other things they don't tell us because they don't have to because it's proprietary. And this is something that Jen Oliva on our board is fighting very hard for, for the FDA, hopefully to regulate it. That's what this episode was about. So we reached out to Maya a few years ago, asked her if she would cover it. She actually agreed to cover it and it was in Wired. And then because of that, we were asked to be on an NPR radio program called 1A. And here's just uh, a few quick clips. It had Maya uh, me, it had Dr. Rawat, who was the CMO at the time, I think she still is, of Bamboo Health. First, let's just play what Maya had to say, because they accused Maya of being really like having shoddy work, like that that it wasn't good work and it was one-sided. And that really bothered me because she's an amazing journalist. So let's hear her quote. In reading your reporting, Maya, one of the things you outline is is how something like geography, where you live, might impact your score. Can you explain that? Well, again, unfortunately, um, Bamboo Health has told different stories about what their product actually contains. When I was doing the reporting for this this piece, there was information on their website that said the score could include criminal justice data, could include all kinds of data from your health record, which would include your address and the diagnoses that you have. Five minutes before my deadline, they responded to a follow-up question by saying, no, that marketing material is not accurate. We don't actually do that even though this was, you know, on multiple sites and in multiple marketing material that I saw across their website. There are no inaccuracies in my article. They have threatened legal action. So I have to be careful about what I say here. But what I will say is I stand by my reporting, Wired stand by my reporting. I have literally talked to, for the article alone, I talked to 50 people. I talked to probably another 20 just on background. And I'm hearing from doctors all the time in academic medical settings 
who are seeing this stuff in their scores and you present a summary score as objective that comes from data that may not be objective or that may be inaccurate. It's a problem is what she said after that, because it is a problem. Garbage in, garbage out. You have inaccurate data sources. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what's in it. It's one big problem. So the next quote from this 1A episode, now, just so you know, everything we have clips from, we have the link in their entirety in the show notes of that episode in case you want to hear the 1A show. But Dr. Nawat either didn't know what she was talking about or was told to lie because she was wrong on so many things that she said. She said that pet um, information doesn't go in there, which we know it does. She said if there's multiple doctors in one practice, that doesn't go as multiple prescribers, which we absolutely know that it does. But this is a clip I played throughout because we have asked them so many times, what is in your risk score? Show us the raw data from those studies. And this is what she had to say. We're very transparent about what goes into the, the use scores. We're yeah. Very that, transparent about what goes into the, the use scores. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what she had to say, um, which it, it, they're not at all. That's that's beyond laughable. But um, And she doesn't know. She has she's no idea. Just, she, no, she's just mm -hmm. a face. She was just the yeah. face and the mouth for that. For that segment. I think so. I think so because she created the open, was it open beds platform, which is another program that they have. She doesn't even have anything to do with an arts care as far as I know. So I'm not even sure why they had her as the one there. Yeah, but they did. She, she was their damage control person. That's it. Yeah. So episode 10 was just a quick episode. I didn't take any clips from this. It was when Dr. J. Joshi, who you, you will hear later on um, in this podcast, uh, he was doing a survey that we needed help. He asked us to promote, which we did. So episode 11 was our first episode with pharmacist Matt. I like and that. I like him too. You found him on TikTok and he's very, very kind. And he was, he's actually been on our, our, on our podcast twice now. So this is from his first podcast with us. Okay. If, if a pharmacist is aggressive, rude, I, I would say try to stay calm. Don't escalate the situation. Try to ask for clarification of what the issue is. You know, is it because I'm new to your pharmacy? Is it because there's an insurance issue? Is it because you can't resolve something in your corporate policy? And see what they say. If the pharmacist said, I don't believe you need pain meds and I'm exercising my legal right to refuse your prescription, get the pharmacist's name, get the store number, and at that point, try to go somewhere else you can. I, I know a lot of people and I say, well, you know, my, my insurance locks me into CVS. In most states, there are laws that say patients have the right to choose their pharmacist. You can try to challenge your insurance company. But also, if it's a big box, go up the corporate chain, talk to the district manager, talk to corporate, and if it really doesn't get resolved and they're being a real jackass, call your state board pharmacy because a pharmacist should not treat a patient in a demeaning, belittle way. So I thought that was a really good summary from Matt that we can give people a little bit of, of advice on what to do when pharmacists are rude because it has been happening. Yeah, people have a lot of run-ins at pharmacies now, especially with the drug shortage. And so it was good to hear from him what, what can people do to help themselves. Yeah, I liked Matt. I hope he comes on. For recollection of any of these podcasts, maybe, I'm on, maybe I'm on gabapentin. You know, you know why I do? Because I edit it. for. And if you remember when we first did it, I was like, oh, the editing. We were first recording on Sunday and I would get it out on Monday. And I was like, Claudia, wow. I, I, and you're like, what? Oh, just put it the way they are, which you mm. can't do because it's terrible. It sounds awful. Two seconds of dead air on a podcast mm. sounds like an hour and you hear people chewing and chomping and I, no, yeah, no, I can't, I can't. I'm a perfectionist, which sucks because that makes it take so much time. But that's the only reason I remember them because no, I just have a weird memory. No, so I think, I think the reason why I don't remember so much is because we have to get all this information and then move on right away. Definitely. So episode 12 is part three of our PDMP Narx Care one. This has, it's a few more minutes of a clip, but it's worth it to listen to. You had asked Jen what made her interested in standing up for pain patients. And let's hear what she has to say. Do tend right to be uh, less politically polarizing. You know, both parties say they support them, but you know the VA has a long history here of being underfunded, putting veterans in categories about uh, how they're going to treat them, etc. And as I mentioned to you guys, and I don't shy away from this, 
I first became aware of um, this issue because I had complex veterans who were patients at VAs that were, you know, having radical changes to their treatment regimens when they were in debilitating pain. And I'm going to tell you guys something. And, you know, I had a patient who had literally stepped on an IED. So listen to this. This is a really powerful story. So she's answering your question, Claudia, about what got her interested. Um, who was a veteran and, and had a, half of a leg blown off and his testicles shredded and had come back to West Virginia and um, it was just debilitating pain, right? You wouldn't wish this on, we wouldn't wish this on, on anyone. It was a, a war hero, got his life back together, got some treatment for the PTSD, was on um, opioids, started, got a barber's license, started uh, to get back on his feet. And then this forced tapering happened and that patient is in federal prison. What he did was he drove from West Virginia to Ohio when he was in really, really deep despair and withdrawal from his opioid treatment regimen and borrowed some prescription opioids from another veteran who was still being prescribed opioids for another pain condition. And that was distributing opioids across state lines as a federal distribution charge, five years mandatory minimum. And was that... Okay, so first of all, I can't even speak. That's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard in my life. So they actually put him in prison for that instead of looking to why they did it. Do you know, was that because of or after the opioid safety initiative was put in place in the VA? Yes, and at the time, um, again, and people don't realize this, VA lists all these services it has, it has. And I truly, look, the VA system truly tries to serve veterans. But there was an extravagantly long, four to six months long wait to get a bed for psychiatric services and or substance use services anywhere near where this veteran could get and lived. And so the veteran was in a, a an abandonment, automatic dis, medication discontinuation, let's not even call it a taper, medication discontinuation had been stable for, like I said, five or six years, had horrific disabilities. And went into withdrawal and instead of going out into the street and, and looking for heroin or fentanyl, um, went to get the safe, you know, FDA approved medications from a trusted veteran friend who had been prescribed, who was trying to help him out. Again, cross state lines with those pills coming back home from Ohio to West Virginia and um, was convicted and has a federal felony. How did anyone even know he did that? Yeah, that part, I don't know. He was pulled over, you know, uh, for some offense and had the prescription and it wasn't written out to him. And oh my gosh. Yeah. Hey, listen, if, if you're a veteran and you're, you're hearing this, I've got a large veteran following on TikTok. Please know we're doing everything we can to get you help. I know I'm trying to collaborate with the VA. Claudia, now you got to listen to what your next comment, I don't know if you remember what it was. I do, I do. Okay, so listen, ready? Because these are evil people. You know, I'm I'm still stuck on that veteran story. It's just so sad. And I think if anybody deserves to lose their testicles, it would be... Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just stuck on that. So I bleeped that out because I was just a little bit worried that we might end up getting in trouble if you name someone for needing to get their testicles shredded, but people yeah. can figure out who right. that was, I'm sure. Yeah, he, he works at a university. So he's this man. He's in the VA. He's shredded testicles. He's, he's terrible. I mean, come on. So you he did the right thing. He did the responsible thing when you guys mm -hmm. cut him off by mm -hmm. getting something from a friend and not from the street. But- yeah, you threw him in prison. That was a great job. Way to, way to go, America. There's one more for this part of the year in review. This was episode 14. This was a sad one. Uh, this was with about Danny Elliott and his wife Gretchen, who sadly took their lives. Danny, we knew him. He had actually reached out to me for help at one point because he had a horrific accident, which we're going to hear him discuss. He was doing really well and very stable on high doses of opioids. And he lost his doctor three times, was it, Claudia? And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we talk about the Opioid Rapid Response Program. This is a program that's supposed to be helping find continuity of care for patients or helping local agencies find continuity of care. And they aren't. And Danny reached out to them and they wouldn't help. The only thing that they did was put a, a, an emergency room list on the doctor's name because his last doctor was Dr. Bakoff. And we knew Danny was probably not going to make it because he couldn't do it. He was tired. He was tired. He was tired of losing his doctor and knew yeah. it was just going to keep happening. 
So this is a bit of a longer clip, but let's listen to Danny talk about he he had been on another podcast on Vice previously before he lost this doctor. And so we played clips of of that podcast. He's prescribed. Doesn't work. I can tell you exactly. Um, and in fact, that is the point where I was at my worst. When I left that doctor's office and she just wanted to increase the medication after I told her that it wasn't working for me, and I threw those prescriptions away. I had reached a point right then where I wasn't going to be able to live with this anymore. I had, I had reached a point that I was going to start making arrangements to end my pain the only way I knew how, and that was going to be, unfortunately, to end my life. But right around this time, his family asked him to talk to one more doctor. A neuropsychiatrist named Thomas Sack prescribes him fentanyl. And when I got the prescriptions filled, and after a day, after a few hours of use, I had gotten pain relief for the first time in 10 plus years. And it was, it was a lifesaver. It was an absolute lifesaver. I was ecstatic. I was so happy. There was a medication that could turn, I call it turn the volume of my pain down from a eight or nine or even 10 sometimes to a, a six or a five. The pain doesn't get much lower than that. But for me, that's almost pain-free. It was the happiest thing I've, I've ever experienced in my life ever. The happiest thing ever. Yeah, that's, that's really sad. And he lost his last doctor and then he lost his life in November. Uh, part of that episode, I worked really hard on that episode because I wanted to show how our country is not helping people when they lose doctors. That's really one of the main focuses of our organization, abandoned patients, forced opioid tapers, what they call legacy patients. When patients lose their doctor, for whatever reason, nobody is doing anything to help them and very few people are talking about it. I think uh, is a crisis proportion at this point. It's a crisis level where these researchers need to take a step back and say, you know what, we got to come together and figure this out before all of these people are dead. But they're not doing that. That's what we're pushing for. That's what our organization does. I did two more quotes from this, uh, clips from this episode. One was from a Appalachian Regional Prescription Opioid Strike Force that they started in 2018, I believe, where they use data analytics to go after doctors and listen to what they said about what they do for these patients when they take their doctors out. I think the other part of our pro that was we spent a lot of time on was 50 individuals all in the same day in April and involved 10, you know, several thousand patients, drug addicted patients. We asked ourselves early on, what would be the impact of community if you took the pill mill out, but you had the patients still drug seeking patients moving around the area? And that causes great concern and it caused the assistant attorney general and the U.S. attorney's concern about these patients that would show up at the pill mill that day looking for their pills. The prescription for the pills would have nowhere to go. And so we spent a lot of time planning with our partners, FBI, HHS, the CDC, and, and principally state and local partners, health agencies at the local level, making sure that we had health professionals on site at each medical location for which the doctor had been arrested that morning to make sure that there was continued access for those patients. They were directed to legitimate doctors that could help them or they were then or they were then shifted to or treated that day. CDC was instrumental in having on-site scattered throughout mobile units that could treat patients the event of overdoses or potential overdoses. And I think that was part of a success story that we were very proud of too, continuing the access of care. So what we did on law enforcement side on the responsible way understand that many of these patients would need help that day. So there's some proud of it. Was that Justin Wood from the no, DEA? No, 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 no. This is a this is a different one. I'll get the name. I, I can't. It's a long name. I can't they remember. They are such liars. They and never. Never, never provided anybody mm -hmm. with continuity nope. of That's care. right. And we are working on an episode. I'm working really, really hard. I'm taking clips from every single video and, and audio podcast I can find and reading from every presentation that Gary Cantrell from OIG did or Stephanie Rubel or people like him, where they make this claim over and over and over and over and over again. This is something we do. This is what we do. We do this. We never let these patients go without care. We have this program in place. They've lied to our government repeatedly mm -hmm saying, mm -hmm. and it's not true. Now, I did talk to Stephanie, right? And she was not very nice to me. Bev, was that a lawyer that was talking? A cop? What was no, that? He's a he's a, a DEA agent. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, DEA agent. And it's OIG. Because so ARPO is DEA, OIG, mm -hmm. FBI. And then they joined with the CDC for this opioid rapid response program. Because like they said, we're so proud of this. Because of course, they think every single patient is a drug addicted patient, as you heard him. But even if they did, they don't provide help. And the first time I spoke to Stephanie, she said, 
they could only find help for people with opioid use disorder, but to hang in there. And then we had a, a terrible experience with her a year later. So what I'm going to do is we're working on an opioid rapid response program um, episode where we're going to go through step by step. I'm going to show you the emails. I'm going to show you every step of the way of our communication with them, because let me tell you something. Opioid Rapid Response Program and Project Echo, they had a joint eight series, I think, webinar, right, where um, it was like, can satisfy that DEA new regulation or requirement for education. And Carrie Judy, the researcher who works with me for our organization, and I went. Now, it was presented by Project Echo was in charge of it, the person in charge, but Stephanie Rubel was there. I could see in her little thing. I signed up for it. I was extremely kind. And so was Carrie. They were saying things that were incorrect, the Project Echo person. So I was very, like, I really did say to them, hey, can you explain to me why you're saying never to reverse a taper when the CDC is actually taken that out of their guideline information. And they were like, oh, you're right. And then privately, the person from Project Echo messages me and says, can you present a case? So I said to her, I am not a clinician. I'm a patient advocate and I don't know that you want me to speak. And she's like, nope, I definitely want you to speak. We need to hear from you. I said, okay, because that's what we do all day, every day. We talk to abandoned patients, which is what all of their program was about. Mm -hmm. So I was excited. All of a sudden, the next time I worked really hard on it, like I worked for hours on this presentation, the next time I was kicked out, I wasn't allowed to go into the next presentation. And so I called. And I was kicked out of that too. And then I see on my email where I just said, uh, thank you for volunteering to present, which I didn't, they asked me. And I'm so sorry, but we cannot have you here uh, because we need to leave space just for clinicians and only clinicians can present. And I was like, wait a second, you had 131 people at your meeting. So you're going to tell me that what Zoom only has like a free Zoom, you have a hundred limits. So they obviously don't have that. And I was like, so why can't I just go? I get if you don't want me to present because you want a clinician to present, but why can't I just go? No response. I, I emailed them again. And I was like, listen, can I at least get the recording of these webinars because I signed up and I have a right as a paying, you know, constituent of this country to access this public seminar? No response. No response. I emailed Project Echo. Can I please talk to you? No response. I guarantee you without a doubt that Stephanie Rubel, I knew she was going to sabotage it, but she no doubt said something to Project Echo to tell them not to let me present. There was another opioid rapid response program webinar coming up in the next few weeks that I registered for. We're going to see if they allow for it. Maybe I mean, it's, me in. it's really shady because here we are, a patient organization doing what they claim to be paid to do, and they won't even talk to us. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that, that series of podcasts on opioid rapid response program. And then we have one more quote from this was, that was all part of this episode with Danny. Uh, we had spoken about Barry Meyer before he wrote a book called painkiller in the early two thousands that this new Netflix series was based on that just uh, launched the other day. And this is from an episode with Barry Meyer we have this on our episode with Danny Elliott. He was interviewed at Stanford University in 2018, I believe, and listen to what he says. I remember when I was working on this back in 2001, I used to get a lot of hate mail. And, and a lot of it was from people saying like, I hope you or your family experience, someone in your family experience the type of pain I'm experiencing and you suffer. This is like very lovely stuff that, that would come in over, over the transom. Or, you know, do you realize that you are causing people to commit suicide and that there are patients out there committing suicide because they're not, you know, they're not getting their pain medication. I'm going like, I don't think so. <sighs> So I'll put on the episode with Danny because I want you to see, and I also have other quotes there from Roger Chow and Angie Kaladi where they actually come out and say suicides due to pain don't really exist. It's bogus. It's a, it's a scam or whatever it is that they say, a hoax. And so I wanted you to hear not just him saying he didn't think they happened, but the mocking and disdain in his voice mm. for pain patients. It's atrocious. And these people are saying, oh, we're going to reduce stigma for people who, no, you didn't. You are obviously there to promote something for litigation settlement, the litigation narrative, and you got what you wanted, Barry Meyer. I hope that you come out. I tagged him and I asked him if he still believes this because this was five years ago that he said that and he didn't respond. But I mean, given that his new series just came out, you'd think he'd want to not make fun of people who are dying, but I yeah. don't know.
Where did you tag him? On Twitter. Oh, what's his, is it under painkiller or Barry, Barry Meyer? Meyer? No, Barry really? Meyer. Yeah. I tweeted him when we first found this, Carrie and I, we tweeted him years ago and mm-hmm. we were like, hey, but we know people have died. And I think we tweeted him again when Danny died and then again, and he never responds. But I thought maybe he would respond this time, but he didn't. But that's okay because, you know, maybe someone else will pick up on it. Like Dr. Kertes, I saw he saw your post of it and maybe he can talk to him. You know, Dr. Kertes is doing a a study on suicide after people lose their medication and people don't, people like Barry Meyer, they don't respect us, right? Cause we're just patients. We're chronic pain patient advocates and we don't know what we're talking about according to them. But some of the experts and researchers, maybe they'll respect them and they will stop making fun of patients because Claudia, how many times a week do we hear from people? What's the famous line? It's suicide or the street. Oh, I mean, terrible, it's terrible. They call us before they want to, before they really blow their brains out. And it's, it's, it's heavy to carry. It's terrible. I hate having to hear it. And I just want all of you to know if you are in that position that we are fighting with everything we can. We are fighting for mm-hmm. your rights. And um, yeah, hopefully we, we have some big projects coming up, right? We're working with Carl Hart. We have um, some big meetings coming up. So things are progressing. I know they're not moving as quickly as they can. This is the end of part one of the year mm. review. We hope you enjoyed this quick recap of the Doctor Patient Forum podcast. Once again, if you are supporting our Patreon page, we humbly thank you for your support. And if you're not, please consider doing so. We're trying to raise money to establish a presence on Capitol Hill. Everything that we do costs money. We need donations. We need money to fund the untreated pain epidemic. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. The link to our Patreon page is p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com slash the doctor patient forum. If you haven't been over there, I hope you will consider checking it out. We have three different tiers, $5, $15, $30. Our highest tier, we include four coaching calls that you get with it. We have a lot of extra video podcasts and after the show podcasts. It's just been a lot of fun being able to build that little community over there. So I hope to see you over there. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying our podcast, please follow us on Spotify, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share with anyone that you think might benefit from this information. Just a quick disclaimer, the information contained in this podcast should not be considered medical or legal advice.